Hey everyone, uh, welcome to Twins Talk Clear Cut Communication. This is Ray and Bob coming to you from Say It Ain't So, Idaho. Yes, we are twins, and yes, we are two old guys who should know better than to try to tackle the topic of communication in a podcast. But we're going to do it anyway, and hopefully you'll find it informative and maybe even enjoyable. I'm Bob, and communication has been a curiosity of mine for over 45 years first as a college administrator, then as a university professor, and finally as a consultant to some major and minor corporations. Big and small, they all had communication issues. And I'm Ray, a former vice president of human resources, a retired psychologist and teacher who clearly understands that weak communication makes maintaining quality relationships tricky. Being in coaching contact with physicians and business executives over the last four decades, makes me both old and full of some great stories. Hey, Ray, since this is episode one, I thought it might be good to lay out some of our foundational assumptions about what we think about communication. I think the first thing I would say is contrary to the title of our podcast, there's no such thing as clear-cut communication. In fact, I think we even chose the title as kind of an oxymoron, because so many people think, well, I can create a very clear, very precise message and deliver it, and it will land just the way I want. And if we think of clear-cut communication as, I'm going to say something, going to say it once, and I'm going to be able to craft it in such a way that it's going to be understood in just the way I want it to be, that's not going to happen. And so I thought we should maybe step back and use this first episode to just talk a little bit about what are some basics, some fundamental assumptions we make regarding communication. And one is that a lot of people think I can design a message that can be very clear and understood and just the way I want it to be. And that's just not going to happen. So I guess I'd like to throw it to you and say, so what do you think, what do you think that's about? Why, why is that so difficult to do? Well, uh, I think, People assuming that I can clearly communicate on a first pass that my message once sent will hit and land exactly the way I intended to tend also to assume that communication, there's a right way to communicate. There's one right message. There's one right path. And so communication isn't as dynamic as it is static for them. And this idea that that communication is more of a formula. Mm. If I say the right thing in the right manner at the right time, I'll get exactly what I want as a result. Mm -hmm. I think that assumption is terribly flawed in that I don't believe that's the nature of communication, that there is just one right way to say something. There is an exact right time for most things when you say them. So I think that assumption is a, a flawed one. And I think, you know, as I hear that and this notion of one right way, I think often people believe with this one right way that there is a kind of objective reality that there is a way of saying something that is if you will the truth and the problem with that is communication in my mind starts with our perceptions not with the actual act of communicating and so what ends up happening is people bring different perceptions to the same exact event and they look at things and rather than saying there is one right way a person says, well, no, there's your way, and then there's my way. And 
those may not be the same. And I think oftentimes people who work on clear-cut communication believe I've got the right way. And I think one of the things we would want to say to those who are listening to us, if there's anyone listening to us, that uh, there is no one right way and there is no one perception that holds us all. In fact, the story that comes to my mind is the youngest daughter, Jessica. We were getting her enrolled in grade school. Uh, We just moved to Champaign-Urbana. I just gotten on the faculty at U of I. And we were going through all these stops to get her registered. And one of them was a medical clearance stop. And in Champaign-Urbana, at that time, there were a multitude of hospitals and clinics. It was Christie Hospital, Burnham Hospital, Carl Hospital, Christie Clinic, Cole Clinic. There was just a ton of them. And when we got to the stop, the woman said to me, she said, Dr. Husband, if your child gets hurt, we'll take her to Burnham. And I said, what I'd really have you do is take her to Carl. That's where my insurance is set up. That's where all of our plans are, et cetera, et cetera. Well, around that time, Jessica was tugging on my uh, pant leg and I looked down and her eyes were getting bigger and bigger. And I said, Jessica, just a minute, sweetie. When dad's done, I'll be glad to answer your question. So I finished talking with the woman and I turned to Jessica and I said, Jessica, what is it? And she said, dad, what did that woman mean when she said, if we get hurt, they'll take us and burn us? Now I knew exactly what she meant. <laughs> that they were gonna take them to Burnham Hospital. But for Jessica, she had this bonfire of hurt kids out behind her building. And every time someone got hurt, they just threw them in this bonfire. And in that lies the issue that she brought a totally different perception to that communication exchange than either the woman or I did. And in that lies the problem. I'd go even further than I want you to jump in. I think we often assume that when we create a message that it is going to be understood in the way we intend for it to be understood. And what the research tells us is that if we do that, if we deliver a message and think it's going to be understood in just the way we intend it to be understood, we will be wrong 90% of the time. Right. I think you're absolutely right, Bob. And I think the other thing that goes along with that assumption is that I only have to make one pass at a message in order for me to be successful or me to be effective. And in fact, experience would say that getting a message and the more complicated the message, the higher the number of efforts you have to make to get through. But generally, even some simple messages take two to three and sometimes four efforts to get the message clearly across. Now you talk about repeating yourself all the time? Well, no, I'm not. I would avoid that like the plague. I don't think the, the uh, effort at making sure I've got the message across by sending it again needs to be a repetition, but I do think it needs to be redundant. To me, repetition is saying the same thing over and over and over, which is something that kids lay on parents a lot. I've heard that, Dad. I've heard that, Mom. That's not new news. But being redundant is sending a message that has the same principle, the same substance, but in a different manner. So that it feels like it's, it's not the same message, but the information is by and large equivalent. It comes across as meaning the same thing. So what I'm hearing you say is that if, if you want to be effective, more effective in communicating, you should probably anticipate that you're going to have to rephrase that 
restate that in other words a couple times at least because believing that one message one time will get it done just isn't going to get it done is that right i mean that that's yeah that's exactly what i'm saying and also a test a reality check on that idea of did it get through is to ask the question what do you hear me saying if the person can't give back to you the substance of the message, it doesn't have to be word for word, then you can be pretty sure it didn't get through the way you intended it to, and you can go at it again. So another thing that I know you and I believe in, in terms of good communication, is checking in or checking out what the person's heard. That when when we are communicating with others, it should be a, become a, a pattern or a behavior where we check in with the other person and say, what did you hear me say? What are you hearing? Yeah, I've got a, I've got a story I can share there. One day, when, after we moved to Tennessee from Rockford, Illinois, uh, Matthew, who was very young at the time, six, seven, bounced into the house and announced to his mom that he wanted to know, Mom, where did I come from? He popped that question out. And I was in uh, the family room near enough to hear, but not enough to be seen, close enough to be seen. And Carol did an amazing, masterful job in responding. She jumped right into her human sexual reproduction prepared talk. I didn't know it had been prepared, but she had about a seven minute presentation that I learned some things from. I thought was very clear. I thought was very helpful. And uh, when she was done, she turned to Matthew and said, okay, Matthew, does that help you understand where he came from? He said, well, no, not really. I was wondering, did I come from Illinois or did I come from Michigan? He went outside playing with a kid and the kid asked, hey, kid, where'd you come from? Because Matthew's accent was a bit different. So that, that's that deal where if you do a reality check and say, okay, now do you mean where'd I come from geographically or where'd I come from biologically? That would have aided the communication process pretty quickly. Yep. So that's back to that. In all likelihood, when we when we ask that first question, as Matthew did, or when we make that first statement, as we often do, we need to assume this is not going to be understood, rather than to assume this is going to be understood and just the way I want it to be understood. And so if we make that assumption, we're going to have to come up with a, an, a second or a third kind of response an, an inquiry. And as I know you and I have talked about before, communicate, and you just said it earlier in the podcast, communication is dynamic. It's interactive. It's not just a single explosive information, bit of information that I put out there in space. It's really a case of interacting with the other person. In fact, uh, your story uh, in an odd sort of way reminded me of what gets taught in uh, mountain climbing in terms of communication. When people are, I think the term is belaying, but when they're climbing and they're handing ropes off to one another, that they've, they've been trained to go through a particular process. And the first one is, is when I hand you the rope, I say, get it. And when you actually get a hold of the rope and you have a firm grip on it, you say, got it. And then when I hear you say, got it, I say good. And it's not until good do I let go of the rope. And so it's really a safety precaution. And we don't even come close to that in communication. It's much more like we throw the rope at someone and say, get it. The other person's fumbling with it. 
they may or may not say got it and I never say good. And so what we end up doing and what does end up creating less effectiveness in communication is we don't recognize that as a that as a process that we've got to go through. And as you said, a more redundant fashion. And so I think that's one of the fundamental issues we've got to keep overcoming. And hopefully we'll address that in very specific examples in the podcasts to come. So I want to raise, I'm going to throw it out to you and say, okay, what other foundational assumptions do you think we need to put out there as a baseline for the folks who are listening? And I said, if there is anyone listening and I remember you saying, I've required my kids to listen. Yes, they're the first, they're the first participants. They're the first participants. And, right. even, and even grandkids? The, the oldest one. The oldest one. The oldest one. And you'll probably get good feedback from her. She loves me. She likes you. So of course, of course, you'll give me good feedback. So you'll get positive feedback. Whether positive it's, feedback. Whether it's good, it'll be certainly be positive. The specificity may be shallow, but it'll be positive. <laughs> Okay. What other assumptions are we making when we think about setting the the table for thinking about effective communication? Well, I know this sounds like a listening promotion, but one time I was working, I was uh, teaching and facilitating a developmental session with some managers from a manufacturing site in Rockford. And the topic was listening, good communication. And uh, I asked the question of the group, what is listening? And a fellow raised his hand immediately without any hesitation. And he said, listening is the time I've got to wait till I get to talk again. And I think that's something that all too often, whether it's conscious or not, is that we consider communication as being important because of the message I'm delivering. Mm-hmm. not the process that's being delivered into. And so we we assume that the substance of the message is a critical element when being able to monitor, shape, guide, process is really something that we ought to see as a, an element of our effectiveness, mm-hmm. a measure, a, a view of what constitutes effectiveness in communication. It's how do we do with the process. And a part of that process, and I think both you and I subscribe to this, and if people are going to keep on listening in the podcast, they're going to hear it more and more, how critical listening is as a communication behavior to making that process work. All the burden is not upon the speaker to make communication effective. In fact, I would argue and will argue as we go through these podcasts that how effective the listener is is going to be a major contributing factor to whether the communication is effective or not. Not how effective the community, the person speaking is, although we want them to be effective. It really is how effective a listener are you in terms of contributing to the overall conversation? Uh, because one of the things that an assumption we do make is that the conversation is the relationship. It's not makes the relationship better or enhances the relationship In fact, on a day-to-day basis, how you converse and how you interact and how effective you are fundamentally defines the relationship and it contributes to the overall quality of the relationship. So an underlying theme is going to be, hey, the conversation is the relationship and therefore you need to be better at it. You need to be good at it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're we're getting pretty close to time. What's your thinking in terms of uh, other things that we might want to include in this particular episode? 
what we have, you and I have challenged together, is the idea that someone can be effective in one pass, take one shot at sharing a message and that'll get through. We've also taken on the assumption that there is a right way to communicate. There is a static path as opposed to a dynamic path in the concept of communication or in the process of communication. And that what I have to say is the most critical or what, what I'm communicating is the reason I'm communicating as opposed to wanting to share, wanting to be heard, wanting the relationship to be positively affected. Those are all assumptions I think that people make that put them at risk in terms of the outcome of communication. And I, and I think one other thing that we haven't raised, but let's just put it off to session two, is that communication and how we communicate can actually create reality. It, does, it doesn't exist in some, some reality. It certainly exists in context. But those who are really committed to effective communication realize that they are in the process of potentially creating something. They need to be more tuned to what am I creating here by the way and how I'm communicating. And that leads me to say that in episode two, we're going to start addressing what are the fundamental beliefs that people hold about what comprises good communication. And those beliefs are going to affect how they interact with others. And so that's one of the things we want to address. And then in that, we're also going to talk about and combine what are some essential elements of a message when when people talk, when people speak, what actually is occurring as that message is delivered? And so that's that's episode two. And as uh, you put it out there, said hopefully near the end of that episode we'll be able to address. And so where are you if if you buy this notion of these fundamental beliefs exist? So what's your belief? What belief do you hold, and how is that going to affect how you communicate with others? Well, I know that you're going to, when we in podcast two, we're going to take up these belief systems. Mm-hmm. And when you introduce to people various prototypes, uh, ideas of where they may be in that system, they're going to want to, want to identify themselves. They're going to want to pick out that. So that's uh, what I'm looking forward to when, when we share the three beliefs. Uh, that people in the aftermath will be able to identify, oh, oh, that's the the system I use. That's the style I use. So I'm looking forward to that too. So to wrap up, I'm going to give a shout out to Jane, who I know may be, Jane is your granddaughter, your older grand, who I know may be the only one listening to this. This This is the only person I have confidence in that will actually be listening to us in episode one. Uh, then I want to say, hi, Jane. I love you, sweetheart. It's Papa. Till next time. The twins are done talking for today. Now it's your turn. We'd love to hear from you with feedback regarding today's theme or a situation you'd like us to step into during a future session. Remember, no communication problem is too big, too complicated, or too intense that we can't make it larger, more complex, or more dangerous than it already is, almost effortlessly. 